Hello and welcome to our Search for Truth programme. This is John Martin and with me in the studio is Brian Johnston, our Radio Bible teacher. Good teaching we're enjoying just now with Brian as he leads us through the journeys of the Ark of the Covenant, which was centrally important in the tabernacle of God's house, you remember. Today we see the important place it had as it came to the two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And throughout Brian's message, you'll notice the emphasis is on the word of God and our obedience to it. So the hymn, Trust and Obey, must surely be our opening hymn, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now let's go to Brian. The archaeologists were puzzled at first as they tried to identify the ancient structure whose remains they discovered on the hillside. What could it be, lying there on the slopes of the Mount Ebal of biblical fame in the land of Israel? Then someone remembered Joshua chapter 8 and the mention of an altar that Joshua had built on Mount Ebal in order to carry out an instruction given through Moses some while before. And so it turned out that very possibly the remains of this altar had been discovered. It was back in Deuteronomy chapter 27 that Moses had commanded the people that when they did finally enter the land of promise over the Jordan, they were to build an altar to the Lord in Mount Ebal and write the words of the law upon its stones. Not far away lay the city of Shechem, which has a famous Bible history dating from the time of the patriarchs. Its name means shoulder or saddle, a place of burden-bearing. It's easy to see geographically why it should be called this, for nearby the mountains of Ebal rise on the one side and Gerizim on the other. Shechem and its surrounding countryside form a sort of natural saddle shape between the two hills on either side. This was the spot chosen for the rehearsal of the curses and blessings of the law. Curses if the people disobeyed it, and blessings if they obeyed. And so in the time of Joshua, this command was carried out, as we read in Joshua chapter 8, once they'd crossed the Jordan. Six tribes of Israel were set on the one mountain, and six on the other, 
And so the curse was rehearsed in the hearing of the people being set upon Mount Ebal, while the contrasting blessings were recited upon Mount Gerizim. Perhaps the natural acoustics of the special geography of that place made it an ideal place for all the people to hear in that outdoors auditorium. It must have been an impressive demonstration of the two ways that have been set before mankind ever since the beginning, ever since Adam and Eve's eldest sons went their separate ways. Psalm 1 highlights the contrast between the two, for you remember it speaks of the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. There the righteous are likened to an immovable tree planted by the riverside, while the wicked are likened to the chaff, the refuse of the wheat, which the wind blows away. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Isn't it interesting that the law and the altar were placed on the Mount of the Curse upon Mount Ebal? Doesn't this suggest to us how, according to Galatians chapter 3, the Lord Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law when on the hill of Calvary? He became a curse for us, even as it was written long before, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. But where does the Ark of the Covenant come into all this, you may be wondering? Well, Joshua 8 and verse 33 tells us that the priests stood there at that time with the Ark, and the people were divided in two, one lot on one side of the Ark and the other half on the other side of it, before the respective mountains. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that's written in the book of the law. At this solemn moment, the people of Israel made their commitment in the presence of the ark, and that's the last we hear of it in the book of Joshua. Let's be sure to commit ourselves in the presence of the Lord to the pathway of blessing for us. As it was then, God's way of blessing for us, his will for us, is the way that's according to his word, the Bible. There are things called blessings today, but they're not in accordance with God's word. So as Christians, we need to be on our guard. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all
moving through our Bible chronologically, we next meet the ark in the book and time of the judges. Then all the children of Israel went up and came to Bethel. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The ark of the covenant of the Lord was there in those days. In that whole book of Judges, that reference in chapter 20 and verse 27 is the only reference to it. Now that's quite remarkable. Only one mention of the ark in those days, despite God's will that it should have been central to the collective spiritual life of his people. Remember those great chapters of miracles and victory, Joshua 3 and also chapter 6, where the ark is mentioned ten times in each chapter. No wonder there was victory. And no wonder here, in the times of the judges, with little care or attention being paid to the ark, that we find that these were dark days for God's people. Like the church at Laodicea that we read of in Revelation chapter 3, where Christ himself was shut outside, the people here too were in a poor spiritual state. We read in this solitary reference that the ark was to be found at Bethel. Perhaps it was only temporarily stationed there during the period of its residence at Shiloh. For in Joshua 18 and verse 1 we learn that the tabernacle, so presumably the ark, was set up at Shiloh. And that's certainly where we find it again in the first book of Samuel in the days of Eli. In the days of the judges, when that single mention is made of the ark, it's a time of judging a terrible wrong among the people of God. That's very important. Up until now, as we've traced the ark on its journey, we've seen God's associated power dramatically demonstrated against the enemies of his people. But now we see it in the context of judging wrong within the people of God. Always, in every age, if we are to know power against external opposition, we'll also, by the same token, have to be prepared to experience God's convicting power within. You remember, I'm sure, the strong tone in many of the letters to the seven churches of God towards the end of New Testament times, as recorded in the early chapters of the book of the Revelation. And what of the expulsion of the immoral brother out of the church of God in Corinth? In 1 Corinthians 5 and 4, Paul writes to them about this matter, that has gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by his power they were to deliver such a one to Satan, in other words, to excommunicate him. Happily, we discover from the second letter that repentance on the part of the one expelled had led to his recovery and restoration to the church. A church of God, after the New Testament pattern, must be one which exercises such powerful scriptural discipline within its ranks and doesn't tolerate anyone or anything that's out of line with the Bible's teaching. Now, does that describe your church? Thank you, Brian. That's important teaching we've heard today. We can all see the importance of obeying God's word, whatever the cost. It may well be costly, but it's worth it, isn't it? For obedience is the way of the Lord's blessing. So let's enjoy together that lovely prayer hymn, Teach me thy way, O Lord, teach me thy way, thy gracious aid afford, 
teach me thy way. Help me to walk aright, more by faith, less by sight. Lead me with heavenly light, teach me thy way. May I remind you once more how you can obtain the transcript book of these 12 studies. You can then get more out of the radio talks by reading and studying the contents. It's available online and either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for the title, The Journey of the Ark. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. So God bless you. I do trust that you're finding these programmes helpful. And if you have any questions or suggestions how these programmes might be made more helpful, then please write in and Brian will be pleased to correspond with you. So till we see you next time then, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings.